thinking, how do we start a semester? I'll just tell you what I've been reflecting on as I've been thinking about you and the task that God's given us and, and how the posture, what posture I would hope for us to adopt. Uh, and, it, and it really kind of grows out of uh, the experiences I've had as a father. I think one of the highest calling is to be called a child of God, isn't it? And, uh, and then God made a part of that to be husband to Joe Susan. And then God designed for us three children that I have been father to for now 21 years, the oldest, 18 and 16 years for each of them. I've been thinking about those times when they're really afraid and when I stood by their bedside and I didn't know actually what to say other than just, I'm here. I hold them as they drift off to sleep after a bad dream as they're little. Can't do that with my six foot six, 18 year old anymore, but I thought of just spending time with them, holding our daughter, her favorite thing when she was really little was for me to hold her on my lap and get on a swing. I can't do that anymore, but then I could get on a park swing and we just, we just rock. And she'd look up and she'd talk about all sorts of things, people in the airplane flying over or the first snowflakes that were falling. And those are really, I can't go back. <laughs> I think if I miss those moments, like I can't go back and get them. Like time is just gone. And so I think back over those moments uh, and thank God for them. I think about moments of tenderness during sickness or, or when they've been bullied or hurt or disappointed. Uh, I came to Pastor Trinity Baptist Church in 1995. About three years later, our first child was born, Rachel. And within a year or so, I began to feel in me this desire that her experience and then subsequently our son's experience with church would be such that in their adult years, whenever they heard the word church, it would just fill them with warmth and, and this conviction that this is a good place to be. These are good people. It's a safe place. And by God's grace, that was their experience. And I don't know quite how, but I know it came out of those feelings that when I would sit, as was my custom, on my daughter's bedside every night to pray with her, I would begin praying, God, would you cause her to grow up, to love you, to love your word, to love your people? I, don't, I really don't know where it started. I just know it became my habit by the time she was late one year old. And then as David was, when John was born, I'd leave Rachel's room and I'd go to John's bed and I'd pray the same. As part of the prayer that night, I would pray, God, would you cause John to be a man who grows up to love you and love your word, and love your people. And then God gave us David, and my prayer would be the same for all three of them. When I pray that for this school, it doesn't come out of a vacuum. Um, it was not a, It was just for me and my children. I never used it when I was a pastor. But something about the first year that I was here, I thought, God, for these students, I want them to love you and love your word, and love your people, just like I want my children to love you, and love your word, and love your people. And I say all that to say uh, Paul 
taps. I, I'm, I'm, I, I know, and the older my children get, the more they're apt to remind me that I was a flawed father. I made mistakes, and some of them are quite comical. And some of them might be quite tragic, and I've said sorry. I've apologized and asked forgiveness. And Paul taps into the very best of us as fathers when he talks to the Thessalonians. Now, if you've forgotten, at least you ought to know that when Paul gets to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, he doesn't stay there long, and it's not necessarily a warm welcome. And he's sent on his way rather quickly, and he taps into this, this experience, these experiences. You know, it wasn't easy to come to you, and you paid a high price to follow the gospel that we preached. And, and yet he writes them two letters, and so we're in the first. And, and, in the, and one of the things that draws me to the Thessalonian letters <coughs> is how almost immediately Paul is just commending them. You're, you're doing good, you know. You, you love each other, but love each other even more. You know, you're committed to Christ, but even, be even more committed to Christ. You've, you've held on to our message, but hold on to it with even more of an iron clasp grip, grip, you know. And so Paul taps into this image of fatherly care in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. You'll forgive me. I, if I'm... I am not weeping up here. I, when it reached minus 25, my nose lost all <laughs> containment. And so I apologize. So Paul's already, Paul's already told them at the beginning of the letter how much that he thanks God for them and that actually he's always praying for them. He has them in his heart at all times. He loves these folk in Thessalonica. And then, and then he talks to them about what their gospel really was and it came to them with the power of the Holy Spirit and they took hold of it, and they welcomed that message. And as a result, they became an example to other believers outside of not only their city, but their region. And their reputation just starts spilling across borders of these people who are just absolutely committed to Christ and the gospel of Christ, proclaiming it, living it, and knowing that they're following this Jesus at the end of chapter 1 who could rescue us from all wrath. Amen. You know, and then chapter 2, at least as... We, we have our Bibles outlined. Chapter 2 starts by Paul saying, and listen, like you know how I lived among you. you. You know how I invested in you, right? He actually taps into this really tender image in chapter 7 of a, a nursing mother nurturing her children. And then we get to chapter t verse 10, and he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly, we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, in a sense, here's Paul saying, I'm a father, and I'm not going to pretend to be Paul and say, here I am as a father, and, and obviously, as a group, we'd say, well, we're not Paul. So we can receive from Paul. It's almost like across the millennia, Paul's talking directly to you too. But there is a sense this morning in which I want to say these words, these three words, encourage, comfort, and implore, we could all, we could all own those words as far as saying that's the kind of community we want to nurture here. And so, so let's just look at these words. Uh, that's it. It's as simple as that. Encouraging comforting, and urging or imploring. 
know, this word encourage, whether we are conscious of it or not, we actually, even in English, use it in two different ways, right? Sometimes I, I talk about encouraging, and what I really mean is I, I want to comfort you. Well, Paul's not being redundant in saying encouraging and comforting, because so, so how is he using this word? There's also uh, the way that we use this word in the English language, and I think it resonates. I, I, I'm tr it's reflecting on Paul's use here is, is I'm trying to spur you on. There's almost an authoritative sense to it. Like I'm trying to push into you to, to do this thing. It carries a note of admonition or exhortation. The Thessalonians, they faced real challenges to their growth. They, they faced real opposition to their claims that Christ is the only way. And so Paul is cheering them on. Uh, there are a couple other passages I might want to take you to. And, and I, to do that, I want to go to Hebrews. Um, you say, well, what might that look like? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. This was one of my father's favorite verses, especially on a Sunday morning. Sometimes he'd just say it to us as a family. Sometimes he'd say it when we got together with, in the meeting house with God's people. But he loved this verse. Be encouraging, or sorry, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin and deception. He would say, Let you, let's encourage each other while it's called today. He also liked this verse, chapter 10, uh, verse 27 and 28. No, sorry, that's not it. Sorry, 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 28. And let's, let, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. My dad used to love that one too. Don't forsake the old English, the King James says, do not forsake the, the meeting together of God's people or God's saints. Um, could I just meddle a little bit here? The semester's going to get busy. I, pray, I said a moment ago, I, I pray to God the weather doesn't get colder, but it's not going to get balmy anytime soon. And you're going to wake up on a Sunday morning, perhaps, and you might have a little tickle in your throat. And it wouldn't be enough to keep you away from class, but it's going to be enough to tempt you to stay away from the meeting house where God's people are going to gather on that Sunday morning. Don't listen to it. Go. Go, because they need to be encouraged by you, and you need to be encouraged by them. And there's always a blessing there. There just is. It's, it's not as if God's saying, I'm blessing you for your obedience. I'm, I'm thinking your obedience puts you in a place where God just blesses you. So don't forsake the meeting together of God's saints. You may be studying New Testament in class, Old Testament in class, Hebrew, Greek, theology. I don't know what all you'll be studying this semester, but it won't, it won't be a substitute for being in that meeting place on a Sunday morning with God's people. So, so don't let that discipline wane. And you might think, well, why on earth would you say that? Because I've watched it too many times over the years. But the seminary is not church, and our college is not church. Church is church. God's people is church. And so we are equipping ourselves, and we are studying here to be part of that vibrant body of Christ that's being built. So encourage each other. Encourage each other here. Encourage each other in, in a local group of believers. 
you know, what did encouragement look for me when my kids were little? I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, because time has gone by so fast. And, and some of you are looking at me going, man, you're just old. And others of you are thinking, you have no idea. You got grandkids, eh? <laughs> like, so, so I'm, I'm only partway on this journey. But I'm, I'm far enough away that it seems not just yesterday that they were little kids. And I can remember when they were putting jigsaw puzzles together, right? And, and you just, what do you tell them? What do you tell them? You can do this. D don't, get, don't get frustrated. Don't give up. You, you can do this. Or they're trying to tie their shoe for the first times. I, I don't think you're struggling with that anymore, but kids do when they're first learning. And what do you say to them? You can do this. Don't forget, you know, year over year and down the hole or whatever that is. And, or in my case, just buying Velcro. <laughs> you can do it. You know, what does it look like when they're grown up? Not a lot different. The challenges aren't tying shoes anymore, but the challenges, but the, but the exhortation's the same. You can do this. There's going to be things that God calls you to give your life to this semester, and you're going to be tempted to draw back from it. It's, because it's more challenging than anything you've ever done before. Maybe you're in a class for the first time in a long while, or maybe you're in a class that's challenging you in a way that you haven't been challenged before, and you're going to be tempted to draw back. I mean, I'm looking at the syllabus for our class, and I'm overwhelmed. Are you? You know, like, this whole week is going to be syllabus shock, and you're going to be tempted to say, we can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Lean into it. God has called you here. You're not here by accident. God called you to this. He's going to fashion you through this. So lean into it. You can do it. I could say that to professors too as we start a semester and we look at all that we hope to get done and I could say to the professors too, we can do this. Because before you know it, what's going to happen? 16 weeks will be gone. And I'll be standing up here predictably saying, it's the last chapel of the semester, and it's graduation, and where did a year go? But right now, we're on the front end, you know? We should be encouraging each other, exhorting each other to lean into this experience and say, we can do it. It's this combination of encouragement and exhortation, and it's saying, I'm here for you, and I'm, I'm, and in the, I'm for you. And in the process, let me just say this. I inherited this from my father, seeing we're talking about father. Uh, one of my dad, fa dad's least favorite things that we would ever say to him as a kid was, I can't. He didn't like that. I've grown not to like it much. My dad's response would typically be, especially if it was something he like, Rob, can you mow the lawn? I can't. He'd say, Rob, it's not I can't, it's I won't. <laughs> no, I can't. No, no, you can, but you won't. I think I've got to make a distinction in my life. There are some things that I genuinely cannot do. I cannot right now run a four-minute mile. <laughs> it's deceptive, I know, but I can't. <laughs> but there are lots of things that I can do, but if I were honest with God, I would just say, God, but I don't want to. And, and we're living in a community that we can encourage each other because, again, every one of us is going to have God put his finger on our life this semester and say, I want you to make an adjustment here. I want you to give me, you never saw this before, that's okay, but at this moment, I'm asking for this. And, 
and we're encouraging each other to say, you can do this. And we're also saying to each other, don't give up. Keep going. Press on. I think of the prayed of people since I was a kid in my life that have encouraged me uh, in this in the class immediately before this, Dr. Watson was talking about shepherds and who has influenced us as pastors. And that's on my list. I, this year, I had two fabulous pastors growing up, by and large. One of them passed away years ago, modeled most of my pastoral ministry after Don Merritt. Um, but this year, Pastor Rod Wilkinson got passed away of cancer and, and mo modeled a tremendous amount of my ministry around him. The kindest man you could ever know cared so deeply about rightly dividing the truth. And, and I'm so privileged. Men that have come up alongside my life year after year. Do you realize right now there are like eight men in six different cities that invest in my life? You need to be that for somebody. I think sometimes my temptation is to, is to feel like I need to be encouraged. Less often do I think I need to be an encourager. I guess I'm just challenging you. Ask God to give you the name of someone who needs encouraging from you. And they might be sitting right next to you in class. It might be your professor, for, for that matter. It might be somebody in your local church. Encouraging. The second word, comforting. And to me, there is tenderness in this word. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament only for comforting the faint-hearted. Same book, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Or the bereaved, John chapter 11, verses 19 and 31. But either way, there's this warmth of love and compassion. compassion that the message may be as simple as this. I am here and you're not alone. It's amazing. I know we're a small school. I'm not deceived about that. We've got 62 students studying with us this fall. Well, probably more than that with audit students. But by any account, we're a small school. So you'd think, in a school our size, nobody can feel alone. But I know after years being here that nothing could be further from the truth. You could be in the warmth of a classroom and feel completely isolated and alone. And, and what's worse is you might not even want to tell anybody about it. I, I would say we want to be here for you. We want to be in this journey with you. And, and so here's the question for, for me, and I would ask you to ask yourself this. Does your presence bring comfort to other people? When you leave the room, do they feel more or less at ease and comforted? Are you able to encourage others by your tenderness? Paul says, as a father comforts, and I think, again, because we're talking fathers, I think back against, you know, along countless memories with my dad, sitting by my bedside in the hospital as I'm getting ready to go into surgery. The last face I see before I go out is my dad. I'm here for you, Rob. I'll be here when you wake up. Uh, he's the one I went to with crushing heartbreak and heartache and disappointment and confusion. I remember going to him and saying, I believe that God is calling me to train to be a pastor and seeing the joy on his face. What a privilege that was. The joy on his face. He says, I knew that. I just needed you to hear from the Father. The Father comforts. You know, we're surrounded by people in our churches who need to be comforted. We're surrounded by people on this campus that need to be comforted. Are you gaining practice in tenderness while you're here? I hope you are.
a harsh word seems to come so easy, but a tender word, it's, a, it's sometimes a little more hard to craft. But I'm going to ask you this semester to ask God to give you the name of someone who needs comforting or who needs tenderness from you. And then uh, this last word, uh, in my translation, it's imploring. In other translations, it's urging. He's, he's not just requesting. He, he is exerting influence. I am imploring you. The closest thing, as I was thinking about this, you know, the closest thing that I can think about is watching one of my children make a mistake. And each one of them, when they reach about 12 years old, I'd sit down with them and I'd say, you know, <clears throat> I recognize how limited I am in my capacity to protect you. But all my life, that's what I've sought to do. But you're reaching an age rapidly where I can only protect you now if you'll let me. Let me protect you. Don't make major life choices without talking to your mother and I. And then watching as sometimes they do that very thing. And the word implore would fit where I'd say, please don't do this. I'm now, I'm now not just asking. With everything in me, I'm telling you there's danger if you continue down this road. That's Paul. He is urging, he's imploring the Thessalonians to live, to, to what? We're supposed to Encourage, comfort, and implore towards what? To live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. That the living life, literally you could say walking around in the glory of God, on the plane of God's glory to participate in the heritage of God's activity, building his kingdom, to make spiritual progress. Not to allow any static moments to begin in my life. So I hear, you know, tenderness is coupled with firmness. Got biblical conviction and lifestyle. And that's what we're... That's what we're encouraging and comforting and urging each other towards in this community. I hope you get A's. I hope everybody in here enjoys straight A's. I hope when it comes to award ceremony at the end of this semester, everybody gets on the dean's list. It, it, it's not like it doesn't matter. We, we do value these things. We value that you care and that you, you apply yourself, but that isn't what we're encouraging and comforting and urging or imploring you toward. That's not what this school is bending itself toward. We are all, we are all saying we want to live lives worthy of God who has called us into his kingdom and his glory. It's like Paul saying, don't settle for anything but God's very best. And what is God's very best? Holiness. Christ-likeness. It's a high calling. I said at orientation, I've try, I try to make it a habit to say it at orientation. But to that end, the most important notes you may ever take in your classroom are the things that the Holy Spirit is impressing on you. So if you're physically taking notes on a page, 
make sure you reserve, if you will, the margin or, or draw for yourself a margin on your page. And that's not where the class notes go. That's where the Holy Spirit notes go. Or if you're taking notes on a laptop or on an iPad or something, you know, have another page, a blank page open. So you're taking class notes, but you can easily flip to the other page and you can take the notes that the Holy Spirit's impressing on you. And it will often be coming through exactly what the professor's leaning into. It might be that suddenly kind of a revival moment's breaking out in class. You never thought that could happen when you're looking at administration, but it is. And, and so God's, go, but God's saying, would you attend to this in your life? Write that down. Because you might could forget a few facts on a test and pass the big things of life. But I'm promising you, if the Holy Spirit cares enough to meddle in your life in that area, write it down, go home, process it. And don't, and, and don't wait till tomorrow before it takes rest in your heart. So the last question I've got is, are we urging each other to holy living? Are we doing that? Are we urging each other to a higher plane? Th there are people in my life that when I get finished with meeting with them, I, I feel like I want to be holy like they are. I sense the walk that they have with Christ. I'm like, oh, God, I want that. I want to go deeper. You know, I, are, we, are we doing that for each other? Are we urging each other to holy living you know, by, the, by the things that we talk about? Do, do you realize that when you're spending time in God's word in the morning before you come to class, Yes, that's for you, but it may well be for the very next thing you do in the day, which is class. And the professor says, anybody have anything to, to share with the class? And you say, oh, the overflow of my heart this morning is this. Like, are we urging each other to holy living? What do we talk about? What, what things do we do to occupy our time? Are we ur urging each other to make spiritual progress here? Somebody made this a great statement, and... Uh, uh, when we were meeting with our trustees. And that is get around people who have been where you are and they're now where you want to be. See, I pray that that's the atmosphere that we're studying in this semester. Encouraging, comforting, urging each other to live lives worthy of the kingdom to which we've been called through the blood of Jesus Christ that's given us entrance the Holy Spirit that animates us so that we can be a part of a church community and bring comfort and encouragement and an urging to them as well. Father, thank you that you have gathered this extraordinary group of students, faculty, staff, to be about the business of training for your kingdom. We don't, we don't live static lives, training so that we can one day engage with your people. We engage with your people right now. And in the midst of that, we, we embrace this calling to lean into college and seminary education. Because you've called us to it, we'll give it all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength because we love you. We love your word, and we love your people. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.